Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Today, we're going to talk, well, what we always do, talk some USC Trojan football player run practices, what we saw at the opening, uh, some of the other stuff going around the program as we count down to fall camp, Pac-12 Media Day, all those fun things. We got Dan Weber on the line. We got Keely Yor in studio. We're going to talk USC. Like I said, if you have any questions or comments for us, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com that's email address or if you'd rather call or text you can do that too the number is 424-254-9141 leave us a voicemail or send us a text and we'd love to read it on the air and talk about whatever is on your mind regarding usc football let's welcome in uh keely your she's in the studio what's up keely hello hello glad to have you back ryan yeah, it was good to be back. Thanks for uh, holding down the fort while I was gone. Of course. I did my best Ryan Abraham impression at the beginning. Yeah. It, w- it wasn't good. <laughs> it, was, it was. I thought it was good. I listened. I, Thank I, you. I listened to it in Frisco, Texas. I listened to the uh, podcast on, I think, on my hotel bed. And we got, or actually, it was going to the, the, the stupid little gym at the, at oh. the, yeah, in the morning. While Gerard was sleeping, I was uh, in the gym. <laughs> so a little behind the, you know, how the sausage is made there. And we got Dan Weber on the line, too. What's up, Dan? Uh, not much. Uh, this is a quiet kind of a quiet week, so uh, we'll go for that. Middle of July here. That's uh, not bad. Yeah, sort of slow, like recruiting time. Slow, um, you know, with a lot of coaches and stuff on vacation. Uh, yeah, there's just not not a ton going on. Now that, you know, these off season workouts, that's going, so that's good. But like as far as the other stuff goes, it's uh, kind of slow, Dan. Yeah, I mean, I I do think you know more happening that we get to know or see. Uh, we kind of check in with some of the guys as they come and go, and I think it's pretty clear they are working pretty hard in the weight room. I mean, I, like a guy like Brett Nealon is just so excited to tell you that he's maintaining his weight at 300 pounds. He worked so hard for a couple of years to get there, and he got a personal best uh, 366, I guess, in the clean last week with all the players cheering and all that. So stuff is happening. Uh, you know, we're not going to be in the, you know, in the weight room, but, uh, but you get the sense that they're not, you know, taking their eye off the ball, that, that they really are, are staying after it. I give, you know, Aaron Osmond a lot of credit that he's made it kind of a team deal. I think, I think one of the things that they might have gotten off track with last year was that, uh, uh, Porter Gustin was such a one of a kind, you know, athlete and, and it was kind of a, well, you know, can you do what Porter does or can Porter inspire you? And it was one of those things that maybe if that didn't happen and you kind of, you know, maybe didn't go that direction, you kind of didn't go any direction. There wasn't kind of the same, you know, emphasis on, on lifting weight, just weight, you know, plates, or uh, there wasn't the team kind of, you know, work that, that, that seems to be going on this year where it's like you're, you know, you're letting your team down if you're, if you're not there and really pushing yourself and, and you get that sense from them as, as we, you know, get to talk to them just started, um, you know, last week that, um, that they really are being impacted by that. And, and a lot of it is, this isn't like last year, like it really isn't, this is better. You know, we really like this. We, we think we're getting better. So, so I think some of the good stuff that's happening, we're not, you know, we're not seeing, but if it, you know, if they're doing it right, it's a nice building block where they can do the next things that you are going to see. Uh, we'll have something, you know, to build on. Yeah. Uh, speaking of build on, before we jump into things, I want to talk about how I'm building on to my physique with the Trader Joe's. Uh, <laughs> maybe that was a pretty bad, uh, you know. I liked it. It was a good it? Oh, Okay. Smooth. Um, so smooth. We didn't want to talk about our sponsor, Trader Joe's. We always do. Uh, I always talk about the snacks, uh, but I need it. The I got to go back to the steak tips. Uh, they're really awesome. Uh, we so, so I've done them on the grill, and you also can kind of uh, uh, do them in just like a you know quick fry sort of thing, uh, you know a pan in the in the uh, in the kitchen. So I love my snacks, 
but there's some really good uh, beefy meat products. And since, you know, we're talking about steak with Aerodosmus and all the steak eating and plate lifting that they're doing, uh, that's, I think, I think he would approve of the, uh, the steak tips at Trader Joe's. They're pretty, they're pretty spectacular. Uh, Keely, you, you haven't tried them yet, have you? I haven't, but like I said a couple weeks ago, the carne asada uh, marinade that they have, you can just, the prepackaged marinated meat, so good, pick it up, I yeah. recommend it. So it's still on the meat trend, Ryan. There's other meat trend, yeah. I love the pre-marinated stuff. Like, I like to season everything, but yeah. when it's that good and you can make it and you can throw it in a taco or whatever you want, it's like, it's pretty, It's simple, it's easy, and it tastes good. It's pretty freaking good, yeah. And uh, speaking of Aaron Osmus... Um, if you guys are fans of our, our little tunnel vision show, uh, he's supposed to be scheduled, uh, Wednesday evening, uh, at 6 PM Pacific to come into studio and talk to, it'll be me and Keely and, uh, and Aaron Osmus talking about USC's, uh, strength and conditioning program. So that should be fun. stuff. It should be fun. It should be a real treat. Yeah. I'm excited. Dan, uh, is there anything you want us to, uh, ask double A for you? Well, I want to ask you where he got all those uh, strength and conditioning guys that are bigger than he is. I mean, it looks like his, you know, when he, when they come in and out of the uh, summer workouts, they look like his bodyguards. And if you've seen Aaron, he doesn't look like he needs a bodyguard, but uh, man, that crew that he has, those are some, uh, <laughs> those are some big guys. So uh, congratulations to him for, uh, for that new, uh, you know, weight, weightlifting crew. They are, uh, they're a, an impressive group. They should be the first ones off the bus whenever USC goes on road trips. Just uh, send those guys off first. Yeah, that's one of the things I was going to ask them about is um, they're, they're very active on social media. Um, and he's putting videos of him lifting and his weight staff lifting uh, the men, the women, all of everyone just lifting, doing personal bests and stuff. And I don't know if that's something where it's like, if you have an instructor that you like, it's teaching you how to fly and you don't feel like they know how to fly. Then you're like, I don't really want you just, they know what to tell you, but they don't really know what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, they're not a very good, they're not a very good pilot, but you're like, they're teaching you how to fly. So I think if you see your strength and conditioning coach, like pushing a lot of plates around and you're like, okay, it's not the skinny guy or skinny woman, like who can't lift anything telling me lift a whole bunch, you know? So I don't know. Maybe that's part of it, Dan. Well, I like the idea because, uh, I mean, one of the traps I think in college has always been uh, this little, uh, you know, expression: uh, "Those who can do, those who can't teach." Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and and you'd like to see that ability to do both. You know, you can teach it, but you can do it. And obviously, that's really hard when you're talking about weightlifting. Uh, you know, for guys that aren't playing anymore and all of that. So, uh, yeah, I think that's uh, that's true. I mean, there is no question. When they go by, you know they're still lifting. I mean, uh, there's an enthusiasm, and uh, I mean they just—I uh, uh, don't know that I've ever, see, you know, I've seen, you know, programs with where the the head guy is really, uh, you know, a, a weightlifter, bodybuilder, whatever, but the whole crew is uh, really uh, an impressive uh, crew. So yeah, just by, you know, by being in a room, I think, uh, you know, they impress you. But you know, with them still. Uh, lifting. I mean, there, there's no question. There's some some kind of a change in attitude with this team. I mean, they just have a whole different feel about about the weights. Because last year, what we heard was, boy, I wish they'd listen to you know Porter Gustin or Cam Smith or, or or we wish they'd listen to us. But I don't know if they will. And we're trying. You don't get any sense that anybody's having to say that this year. No. That that, that that's already that's not even a point for discussion. No, I agree with you there. Um, we, uh, we got a lot of stuff we want to get to, I guess it's maybe not as slow as we think. This is interesting. Uh, I talked about it with Harvey Hyde on our show yesterday. Um, but everyone, make sure you check out tunnel vision, uh, Wednesday night. You can go to uscfootball.com. We're on Facebook, on YouTube and on Periscope. If you want to watch it live or you can watch the replay with Aaron Osmus. It should be very interesting. Very nice of him to uh, offer to come in to, the studio, but uh, I mentioned this yesterday. But Austin Jackson is uh, doing a very selfless, selfless act, uh, donating bone marrow for his sister Autumn, who suffers from diamond black fin anema. Um, and so she—it's a rare bone marrow syndrome, and she needs a transplant. And a lot of times, you can get it from your direct family. And uh, in this case, Austin is going to be doing that. We haven't seen him for the last few weeks or whatever. And, and you know, this is 
why it should be happening this week. If not today, maybe it, wow. it might be going down. Uh, and I, I've done a little research, Dan, on you know how you can recover from something like this. It's usually days. It's not like you're going to be out for quite a while. And I think everything will replenish itself in like six weeks. I, it seems like very similar. Like I'm actually donating blood today and it takes... If you donate regular blood, it takes uh, you know a couple months, and then you can go back and donate again. But it seems very similar. But um, I didn't find anything specific on like high level athletes, but it's just for like your regular day to day stuff. It's a matter of days, and you'll you should be back uh, to normal. So it's not like he's going to be out for a while by doing this. But um, I thought it was a really interesting story. And sometimes USC football, you need some feel good sort of stories, and this is definitely one of them. Yeah, and I, I think what it points out is that um, uh, it really helps to have uh, a number of people who can play a position because you won't have that sense that, boy, Austin's got to come back and, you know, what are they going to do and who's going to be there and, uh, you know, uh, getting Drew Richmond to grad transfer from the University of Tennessee and, and uh, you know, getting Clayton, you know, back, uh, you know, from his back injury uh, Clayton Bradley, and then, uh, you know, you've got four or five guys at least that you can, you know, move through there and just building up that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of ability to handle something like uh, like Austin Jackson, you know, uh, his bone marrow uh, donation is, uh, is a terrific thing. And so, you know, USC is getting there. I thought the offensive line is a place where they really needed to develop that you know, second level of guys who can play. And, and, and so, you know, this really makes the point is, is why you need that. Yeah. Did you, what did you think about Akilah? It's crazy. I mean, it's such a selfless, selfless thing to do. And I feel like bone marrow transplant, that's, that's not a fun thing to do. It's painful for sure. Uh, well, I see, I've read up on this and they, that's really? a myth. Like it's not really? really, yeah. It's like, there's you, there's some kind of, uh, injection, I believe in your back, like in your, you know, so that's not, I don't think it's fun, but I don't, yeah. it's not like some super painful, at least from what I read. I don't know. I mean, okay. We can ask Jackson, Austin Jackson. And- yeah. We'll definitely have well, to ask him. Well, yes. Um, you know, I think a competitive athlete at his level probably is, is better suited to do something like that as well. I mean, you're used to, you know, you, you know, you, you play with pain or you, you, you know, you get pain and all of that. So I think, uh, from that standpoint, I, you know, I do think, you know, he's really well, well suited to do something like this. And for everybody that knows Austin, there's not even the least bit of a surprise that, uh, that he's doing this. I mean, it's, it's not even, you know, there wasn't even a question. Uh, I think, you know, from everything, you know, just to what you know about Austin, that this just is exactly, you know, the person he is. And, uh, so I, I think it's a really upbeat. You know, upbeat young man, and I think um, I think he comes back. You know, from this, uh, you know, all the better. And uh, and I just think, you know, it's 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 kind of a thing that you know it allows his teammates to sort of rally around a, a little bit, and I think that's a good thing as well. Yeah, for sure. So you know, best of luck to them, and uh, hopefully Autumn, you know, yeah. gets through all this, and uh, the the you know the donation helps and everything. So hopefully everyone comes out. Uh, and it's a, it's a great, you know, feel good story at the end. So it's, it's good right now, but you know, you obviously you want her health to be, uh, that's the whole point of this. So hopefully it gets good. Um, maybe we'll talk about the opening real quick. Yeah. You were at the opening. How was that? Yeah. So if you don't know, this is recruiting part. So like you can tune out if you don't like (laughs) recruiting, but the opening and Gerard did a really nice piece of like what we learned from the opening. If you want to check it out on uscfootball.com, but for years and years, this was a Nike event and, they have regional, you know, they used to call them, you know, like Nike camps. And then it became like the opening Los Angeles or the opening Orlando or whatever. And they would have them across the country. And then the best players uh, from around the country and these in these uh, regional camps would get invited to get open at the opening. And uh, it was held up in Beaverton, Oregon at Nike World Headquarters. So if you've never been there, it's pretty cool. Like you get to go to the Nike uh, employee store and get like 60% off stuff. The players would be, you know, the, the, the main area would be the Tiger Woods Center. All the buildings are like named after famous athletes and stuff. Some of them they had to change because there was like a Joe Paterno building. They had to kind of get rid of that. Oops. So, yeah, there was like some oopsies there. But it's a really cool, like there's, uh, you know, running paths. And this is like, it's like a college campus for, for work. And, you know, nestled in the trees and 
uh, water features, all this stuff. It's beautiful. And it was just really kind of cool experience for these players to go uh, to Nike headquarters. And then last year they switched it to uh, Frisco, Texas, and they have it at the star, which is the Dallas Cowboys like training facility, which is sort of this like cavernous. There's just not a lot of personality there. It's cool. Like tourists come by, they want to, there's like a field out in front and they want to hang out and, uh, you know, take their picture in front of the Cowboys stuff and everything. And there's a lot of restaurants and stuff. I mean, Jerry, Jerry Jones did a really good job, but it's just, to me, the event isn't as cool as it was when it was held uh, at Nike. So I'm not sure. And, And overall, just with USC being the position that they're in now, there wasn't as many USC targets. There was only one USC commit, uh, Bryce Young. He did really well. Um, but overall, it was just sort of like, eh, you know, and there was, there was some, you know, I, I shot a lot of footage of Corey Foreman, who's a uh, junior. He's 2021 uh, Corona Centennial defensive end. Played a lot with uh, Drake Jackson, and they're really good friends. He's probably a USC lean. He ended up winning the defensive uh, lineman MVP uh, for the camp. So, Seeing him out there as a junior, he was really impressive. But a lot of the other guys, there's some big names, but they weren't really, they're out-of-state guys. They weren't really in on USC. There wasn't as many California guys as there would be if it was up in Oregon. Um, And then, you know, three of the guys I was filming as USC targets end up committing elsewhere, like within a week after the opening. So it just wasn't, with a combination of where it was and where USC is, they're not really in the greatest position as far as recruiting goes. You kind of have to wait and see how the team does. If they win a bunch of games, I think they'll be in on a bunch of these guys. But if you if you don't early, then you're really not. So they're sort of in this kind of limbo thing, which is, you know, it's not, it's atypical of like a USC recruiting class. So, I mean, overall, it was all right. But I, I liked it up in Oregon a lot better. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think they're, they're kind of in this, uh, you know, no man's land because the players – USC needs to recruit, has always recruited, are the kind of players that are going to look at a five and seven team and say, I don't know if I'm interested in a five and seven program. So, I mean, you know, right now, if you're, you know, all involved in USC recruiting, all you can do is kind of go through the motions and do as best you can and wait and see how this team does this fall. I mean, and, you know, you can say that can turn out a couple of ways. They can do really well and they're in on kids. Or they can do really badly, and they hire a new coach, and then they're in on kids. Uh, but you got to do all that work now. But uh, you know, you got to uh, nothing. Nothing much is going to be finalized right now. I mean, you're just going to say, okay, it's a, it's kind of a futures uh, book right now for USC. You know, you're just trying to hold on and and uh, and hope things uh, you know, really turn around in the fall. Yeah. So this was weird. I don't know, what did you think, Keely? Well, I know in Gerard's piece, he talked about how he doesn't think that the opening can kind of regain the the prominence it one ha- once had when it was at the Nike headquarters. Do you think that Ryan? Do you think that that can they can regain that momentum that they once had, or is it kind of a new thing now? You know, there's a lot. There's more camps now. Like it used to be, like the biggest thing. It used to be like there before the opening. There was USC Rising Stars camp. Like that's where everyone came with Pete Carroll, and yeah. then. The opening kind of took over, but there's Under Armour, there's Adidas camps, there's more camps and stuff now. Nike's kind of not really a big part of this anymore. Um, some of the landscape, I think, is is shifting, and I feel like they wanted to go to to Texas. Part of the reason to you know for some easier for some of the Florida kids and stuff to to make it out there. But the mystique of going to Beaverton and being on that campus was just it had a way different feel to it than what they're doing. Now, and, you know, to be honest, they it wasn't super uh, media friendly. Sometimes it became more of a television event and they were definitely doing some of that uh, for this. But, you know, they didn't make players available uh, for, you know, after workouts and stuff. Usually they would like you'd ask, you'd put your names, in, you know, the names you wanted. They would bring them over. This was more on like, yeah, talk to the players and see if they'll come over and talk to you. Um, so it's just. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's, it felt like they were shifting what their focus was. Um, and, you know, maybe they wanted to get away from from what that, you know, that experience was. But it, at least the way it's going now, I kind of agree with Gerard. It doesn't seem like it's going to get back there unless someone comes in and says, no, okay, let's get back to this and, and make some significant changes in the other direction. Interesting. Well, who, who runs it now? Who, who's technically in charge? So it's still Student Sports. And Student Sports is a company that was – owned by like rivals before and scout and ESPN has been all like kind of all over the place. 
Uh, but they're still, uh, you know, behind this. And, you know, people we know like Yogi Roth is still involved and a lot of the players and, you know, that they do the Elite 11 as part of it. And it's all kind of uh, wrapped together. But Nike was like the big, you know, backer and sponsor of it. I think they're still somewhat involved, but they're not like the, the title people anymore. So, uh, yeah, it's hard to say like what who's going what, doing where, but it's still like a student sports sort of thing. Well, I think, I mean, with Nike, I don't know that they get the bang for the buck out of football. Uh, sponsoring teams, maybe yes. Uh, even there, they're, you know, getting beat out for teams because they just say, you know, we don't need to put up that much money. Where, uh, you know, Under Armour and Adidas you know, might throw around a lot more money. I just think, you know, it's been a business decision with Nike. Football is such a team game that, uh, you know, you have your, your Nike schools, but, uh, but unlike in basketball, maybe even track, where, you know, you can really focus on, you know, a few athletes that everybody can, you know, can see and know what shoe they're wearing and it really matters. And, and the other thing is, you yeah, can't really sell, you know, to people off the street uh, football cleats. I mean, you know, who's, who's going to buy football cleats? Yeah. Just, you know, football players on teams. So they're not, you know, if you're going into a Nike store, you don't see any, almost anybody in there buying football cleats. So uh, I think, you know, for Nike, it's just a business decision. Yeah, it must be. Um, all right. Well, that's a little recruiting chat there. Uh, so what you guys thought of the, uh, the player run practice, we got to talk to players now. It's July. Uh, this was happening, I think, when I was gone, when you guys started. But maybe, Keely, you want to give your thoughts first, then we'll get Dan's. Sure. I talked to Michael Pittman, um, checking in with him. He obviously is trying to grasp that leadership role that he said he wanted to have the part of the reason why he returned for his senior season. Um, he says he's doing a good job, but there's always room to get better. Um, he says sometimes his trash talking gets in the way of his motivating, motivating his teammates. Um, but the interesting thing he said was just when he talked about Aaron Osmus and the change that he's brought to the program, because off the bat, I asked Pittman, how's off season going? He's like, I think it's going really well. I just feel so much stronger. I feel like as a team, we're stronger, and I feel like we're really carrying this momentum into the into the season. And I asked, well, how much does Aaron Osmus has to do with that? And he has, he was like, it has everything to do with it. He's really changed our culture, and it starts with the weight room. And the thing that he said that I thought was interesting was that before in the weight room, it was very much offense versus defense. He was like, we get in that mindset just because we're doing that so much in practice. You know, you kind of have – he didn't want to say clicks, but there's kind of factions within the team. And it's normal when you have like 100 – main roster to to have those factions but he said the, some of the challenges and the workouts and the things that Aaron Osmus has us do puts us with guys that we never really would do things with before you know you look to your your guy to your right and to your left and you don't really interact with them and then after you go through a challenge that Aaron Osmus has you do you kind of are closer to them so yeah. he said it's it's a good thing that he kind of mixes up the factions that that kind of created on the team and that in that sense they're bonding in a new way and it's bringing the team closer together so as it even if they're not maybe getting as stronger, if we don't see that transfer onto the field, it seems like they're bonding in a different way. So it seems like Aaron Osmus is bringing good things. I know the the parastyle is a little skeptical, but it seems like from no. what we've heard, it seems like good things are coming from that. Nice. How about you, yeah, And I know they, they kind of maybe accuse us uh, at times of being a little too upbeat, but I think basically you know, this year, this summer, we're, we're pretty much reflecting uh, what the players are telling us. I mean, you know, we're not making it up. They, they feel this way. Now, you can, you know, question whether, oh, yeah, but, you know, it's not going to turn out, and blah, 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 all of that stuff. But, uh, but we're not, you know, <clears throat> we're not substituting our enthusiasm for the players. There is a, uh, a genuine across-the-board enthusiasm in, uh, in the way they're doing things. I mean, they, you know, they're contrasting it to last year, and it's obvious. Uh, you know, almost anything would be an you know improvement over last year, and and they know spring ball was an improvement. Aaron Osmus is uh, an upgrade in terms of the team uh, approaching uh, you know seriously, and uh, you know without you know you don't have a chance. It's not optional anymore, where you know you decide how hard you're going to work and all that. I think you know. There, there's there's no options there. Everybody's on board, and that's what you hear from from the kids. They're they're really uh, they're really upbeat. Um, again, you know they're comparing it to last year, and it's not that hard to be upbeat after last year. 
although you can understand fans who say, I can't possibly be upbeat after last year. You're not, you know, fool me once, you know, but not again. So, uh, you know, that's what makes this season kind of fun to contemplate. And the fact that for the first six games, you're going to know, how's it going? How's it working? You know, did they get it right? Uh, is there enough talent there? Um, and all of that. But uh, that makes her, you know, kind of an interesting summer. It's better than being, a, you know, having a downbeat uh, summer. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We, we, you want an upbeat summer. It's always the goal. You needed some upbeat stuff. And it's been more upbeat. True. Yeah. Which we like. True. Uh, <laughs> getting ready. Pac-12. I'm going to be gone for Pac-12 Media Day. I'll be gone the next two weeks. Which uh, is crazy. The crazy thing is that Pac-12 Media Day is in two weeks. Yeah. Like, we're coming down. The season is almost here, people. It's crazy. Yeah, it's insane how this is happening uh, very quickly. Although, very I quickly. guess the good news is it's Pac-12 Media Day rather than the days. two days that yes. didn't work so well because it was like, well, there's enough there. If you put everybody together, it's going to start early and it's going to go late. But at least it really makes it worthwhile for the full day. It was always, well, is there an, if it's not the day USC is there, is it like, you know, I mean, it, you know, you could be at the SEC where they have now, I think, four days. Yeah. Four, wow. count them, four days in Birmingham in the middle of the summer. Um, so uh, you probably don't need that. Uh, obviously, you absolutely don't need it in the Pac-12. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, and, and that's going to be here, I guess, next week, maybe for the, uh, for the SEC guys. I mean, they're, you know, they just, that's all they got. I mean, that's, that's football. When football's coming, why wait? Just, you know, <laughs> blow it out and just, you know, as big as you can make it. Um, so I think, you know, I like it that, you know, we'll do it all in one day and, and get a chance to hear from everybody, see everybody. And, um, you know, see how it can be interesting to see how USC, this is a really different, you know, I mean, coming off of a losing season, you know, I, I've never seen that, uh, USC all the years covering USC, haven't seen them come back after a losing season. So I'm, I'm not even sure how are they going to be treated? How do they, you know, what do people think about USC? I don't, I don't think we know. Um, and so I'm going to be kind of interested how that plays out. Uh, how's USC going to handle it? Um, I think, you know, it's a good storyline, you know, for people interested in USC. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure what, and you know, they asked 24 seven sports asked me like, what's the big storyline going into media day. And I'm like, I, I texted the group and it's kind of like, I don't know. Like, it's like it could be the quarterback thing, but you just expect JT Daniels to win. Um, I mentioned, you know, just even Clay Helton's job status, but that's not going to really come up. But if you look up and down the Pac-12, there is only one coach on the hot seat. It's Clay Helton. Like yeah. everyone else, like, they've been there. Like, could you say Kevin Sumlin or Herm Edwards? Like, that's good. Their second year, yeah, you know, no. like they're not they're not going to be on the hot seat. There's, and, you know, Jonathan Smith at Oregon State. He just got there. Mel Tucker just got hired at Colorado. Like. Whittingham, Shaw, and Peterson aren't going anywhere. Leach isn't going anywhere. I mean, there's just there's just a lot of coaches that just seem pretty stable or new, where you have to kind of give them some time. I mean, I mean, maybe Justin Wilcox, but you know, they beat Washington last year. They beat USC last year. Like, yeah, it, I don't think so. Yeah, so there's like, I, I it seems like the only one that's going to be on the hot seat is Clay Helton, but that's not really a topic you're going to be talking about at Pac-12 Media Day. So I don't. <laughs> And it's not even a story because everybody knows. I mean, he's yeah. listed number one on every college football magazine as as the hot, hot, hottest seat in the country. I mean, it's like you don't even have to bring it up at the Pac-12. It's like obvious. I mean, it's not even a question. I mean, you know, when basically everybody has you fired in January, the fact that you're still around is like, oh, wow. But it's not like, gee, he's on the hot seat. Well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> of course. So, uh, yeah, so that's not a, not a storyline. I mean, I think the storyline with USC is there are so many storylines. Yeah. They're just, you know, one after another. Answer this question. Well, what about this? What about that? What about this? You know, there are just so many, um, so many things. Uh, I think it's just a combination of them uh, and, and not any one. 
Yeah, I think that's a good good point there. Eh, we'll see, but that'll be a couple of weeks. So I'll be gone for a couple of weeks, but I think Keely and Dan will be doing the, the show. We'll be holding down the fort. They'll hold down the fort. Um, we're not sure about tunnel vision. Probably we'll, we'll discuss that later. That might be a little more. Well, both you and Chaka are gone, so yeah, that's yeah. Can't be a one one girl show. Keely and <laughs> Trevino and Dan. Like, be, you know, yeah. One perfect. of us would get all the words. Two yeah. of us would not. Chris, <laughs> Chris. Yeah, sure. Chris, Chris. are you there? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it, one of the other things that came out of the uh, recent PRPs, um, Chris Trevino, who we just mentioned, uh, did talk to Talanoa Hufunga, and uh, so he broke his collarbone twice. Uh, last year, I forget which game it was, and then didn't have surgery, breaks it again in the spring and does have surgery. But he told our Chris Trevino that he uh, was, has been cleared and he should be ready to go for fall camp. So I know that was a question, but that's pretty big uh, considering all the the bodies USC has to replace in the secondary with, you know, Janie Harris and Ema Marshall and Marvell Tell. Uh, having a, a guy like Hufunga, who a lot of people think could be the best player on defense, healthy for fall, I think it's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, let's let's say I think the secondary is a bigger question mark than the offensive line. Uh, you know, with the you know, Graham Harrell offense. So, um, and yet the, the interesting thing is, it is probably in terms of you know recruited talent, in terms of star power, I think it's the most talented. Uh, secondary USC's ever had on paper coming out of, you know, high school or as prospects or whatever. So, you know, I, you know but for some reason, Talanoa seems like he's been here forever. I mean, he just seems like he's one of those kids that uh, he just has a way about him. Um, you know, kid, he, he models himself after, uh, you know, Troy Palomalu. He's a uh, you know, small town Oregon kid. Although I guess Corvallis wouldn't wouldn't, wouldn't be compared to Ten Mile Oregon, where Troy was from. But uh, but that's kind of who you know he models himself after. He seems older, more mature. You know, more of a veteran. He seems like you know he can make all the plays. He's physical. He's quick. He you know play the ball. Uh, and so you know having him. I mean, we were noticing he wasn't you know wearing anything on it. He wasn't favoring it at all and it was great that you know chris got him to kind of you know say exactly where he was but uh but that's a big one because because of isaiah palomalo also is coming back you know after uh you know shoulder injury and and you put the two of them i mean it's one of those things that they're both hurt boy but if they're both on the field you've got two really big strong athletic tough uh safeties uh, that, you know, could stand up with anybody in the country, I think, uh, you know, at their, at, you know, playing their best. I don't know that, you know, there, there are a lot of teams that, that have two safeties that big and athletic and, and, and able to do what they can do. So, uh, that's a big one, just getting him back. I mean, he just seems to be, uh, the organizing principle on that defense, even, you know, as young as he is. Yeah, I mean, C.J. Pollard, I don't know, do you have something on Hufunga? Or? I was just going to say that the thing that I thought was interesting is that Hufunga said he was cleared for now, so I don't know what exactly that means. Oh, okay. But I would, there's some caution there in my mind. Okay. But Good. he's working well, out. Yeah, I think, I think he's going to have to get another level of clearance for full contact. Yeah, no, I don't think there's any question that, that they're going to have to take another look at him. And and see where when they want to release him in August. I mean, I think he's on he's on track, uh, but you're not going to release him, you know, now. I don't think you know for full contact. And I think that's smart. But yeah, that's a good point, Kelly. Yeah, and then the, the other thing you mentioned, Isaiah Polamau, he had two shoulder injuries the last two, you know, one each of the last two years, and then uh, Hufunga. But C.J. Pollard, who we didn't get to see in the spring because he. Hurt his foot, and it was just one of those things where it just seems like he's snake bit a lot. Um, I mean, he's a redshirt junior. He's the you know the the guy that's been around the longest, the elder statesman, I guess you could say, in the in the uh, uh, for the safety group. But did any expectations for him, Dan, at this point? Like, do you think he can well, come you know, in? You know, I think that's a position you do grow into in terms of all the judgments that you have to make. You know, as a safety, and uh, I'll say this: he's uh, he's earned his degree. And he is absolutely, uh, you know, the person, Mr. Personality on this team. And it would be wonderful, you know, to see him, 
you know, break into that, you know, group is going to be on the field. And, and, you know, I just think he's really kind of that kind of leader you'd, you'd like to have out there and you know, a guy that can talk to everybody. Communication at that position is really important. And um, he's without a doubt a communicator and, um, and you know, with a degree and, uh, and a veteran and all of that. He'd be an ideal guy to step up, I think, at this point. And, you know, he's very upbeat, uh, very, uh, you know, very much uh, a guy. I don't think it's he's let it kind of, you know, the fact that he's not gotten all the best breaks and not gotten all the best opportunities to play, I don't think he's allowed that to sort of, you know, beat him down. And uh, so uh, that would be a great place to get maybe help that you weren't thinking about because of um, of his injuries and that in the past yeah well should we you want to jump into some questions or sure do you want to go to a voicemail first man? yeah let's do a voice we have a voicemail and i think you have an interesting story yeah we have an interesting story submission that, that keely you wrote this sto- you wrote the story right no i did not oh, okay. I, thought, I thought you wrote the story such but a well. troll um okay hold on i'll play this voicemail for you and then uh, we'll go to keely's story Hey guys, this question's for Dan Keeley and Ryan, and I was just wondering who you guys, if there's a true home run threat on this team, and if so, who is it, and who would that be for each of you guys, or if, if there are a couple, then that's fine too. So anyways, fight on Jason Longhorn Country. Home run threat. Uh, you want to start, Dan, and we'll... Okay, uh, you know what, I don't think we've seen... Uh, in this offense, uh, I think some of the home runs are going to come from what they call shot plays, where they take a shot down the field, they set them up. And they didn't do any of that in the spring. I mean, basically, they were basically doing, you know, the basic offense, um, you know, whatever, the 18 passing plays and, you know, four, you know, basic run uh, plays. So I don't think we know how they're going to try to set people up and who they're going to try to set up yet i think that's uh that's to be determined uh, you know and i you know i it wouldn't surprise you if they're actually trying to set up somebody like a stephen carr out of the backfield and and get him to a place uh you know where he's you know matched up against some poor linebacker trying to cover him from inside out and get him out to the out to the you know sideline and up the sideline uh, uh for something like that uh, as far as, uh, you know, the burner, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if we know, uh, you know, what their plans are going to be for, you know, Keenan Kristen, uh, and how he's going to, you know, how he's going to fit in. I, I, uh, as far as, I think you can make the case for each of the three wide receivers. I mean, I don't, I don't know that any one of them is more, you know, you got ones that maybe, you know, Michael Pittman is, is maybe more the, the guy that you're going to, you know, make a possession receiver, even though, you know, just because of his size, even though um, uh, Amon Ra is also, uh, you know, a very good, you know, possession receiver, and Tyler is more the guy that, you know, goes up and catches the ball in the air, you know, with the big acrobatic catch. But uh, I, think the, I think the secret maybe with this offense is that they don't have, you know, necessarily – a home run threat, and, and and maybe a you know a a, a Velas Jones, uh, you know who decides to come back and uh, and and has some of those you know those skills that were never taken much advantage of. Um, but uh, but I think I if I were you know trying to you know scope this out, I'd like to have a number of home run threats rather than one home run threat, and uh, I think that would be my my way to go. Yeah. What about you, Kaylee? Yeah, I mean, Dan pretty much covered it. I think just off of pure speed, you'd have to go Keenan Kirsten, but we really haven't seen him in a a D1-level offense yet, so I'm curious how that plays out. Um, Stephen Carr, the question mark is always, is he his old self? You know, Did that back injury kind of permanently change the way that he plays? And I guess uh, from a wide receiver standpoint, you have to go with Valus Jones. I think that's a big uh, plus for USC to get him back on the roster you know I don't think like Dan said USC's really utilized his speed for as much as he's been at USC that time he's been at USC so just seeing how both Keenan and Velas are incorporated in this offense because those are two guys we didn't really see in spring uh, because they both weren't here so seeing how they are incorporated is the big question mark 
Yeah. I mean, I think you, you got the Jones and Christian breakaway sort of speed, but like Dan was saying, are we, you know, are they going to be shot play guys? We don't know. Like we don't yeah. really see that. I think Steven Carr, if, if he's somewhat, you know, what we, what he was before, he'll be having a lot of opportunities and I think he can create some mismatches and it's like, you know, he might be a catch of the ball out of the backfield and take it to the house sort of guy. Like yeah. I could see him for sure. And if you want to go, like off the re- like all the receivers like there's potential there but you want to go off the reservation like I don't know how Josh Follow is going to be used like he yeah. could streak up the middle and something and he's like oh he just like hits you over the top and it, yeah it, you know with you're not really expecting something from him uh, but they're like with like Dan said I think there's a lot of potential for guys that could do that and with a good offensive scheme I know you haven't seen this but guys actually get open because the scheme like helps them get open what? and you have to make like a contested catch over two defenders they're like oh I didn't realize Josh Follow was on the field and he's catches the ball he's wide open like he, he could have I could have caught it you know like there's things like that can be happening in a good offensive scheme that USC fans aren't used to seeing yes well you know like if you use him say it as an ace back a lot and you've got him in motion now, you, you know, who's going to defend him? And if they've got to defend four other guys first and you, you get him out quick enough off tackle, uh, you might be able to just send him down the middle of the field. And, uh, you know, like you know, we were seeing and hoping Daniel Amater Baby would be that guy after, you know, watching him at Washington and other places a couple of years ago. Um, so I just think, you know, it's going to be about mismatches. And I don't think you know – I'm mean, going into a lot of these uh, plays. You don't know where the mismatch is going to come because you're not sure, you know, if the defense. I mean, they do a lot of crossing routes, for example, and, and a, a big part of that is you're hoping some of those defenders run into one another. So you may not know until that point where the mismatch is, and maybe you've got your home run there just because you you, you get them to run into one another. Uh, so I think they're going to force defenses to make a lot of decisions on the fly. And the hope is, and the plan is, that USC can react to those things that happen in the middle of the play quicker than the defenders can. Or if you've got a linebacker from, you know, inside trying to chase down Stephen Carr as he flares out, uh, that's a mismatch. And he's going to outrun that guy. And he's probably going to be able to turn turn it upfield. And, um, you know, now... A lot of those plays are going to be how well to the, how well do the receivers block, and again we didn't get to see that, and I think that's a really crucial part of of what happens in the fall, uh, in, in August is how well are these receivers able to block downfield, and and where you can turn a mismatch into a home run because you're blocking, uh, you know the potential tacklers that have to come over and help, uh, you know you get a guy to open grass like they want uh, the defenders have to you know get there and and provide support and if your wide receivers are blocking them and knocking them down uh, you got a chance for a home run so I don't think we've seen how that plays out and and I, I can't wait uh, to see in August and USC's got to be serious enough that they've got to work on uh, you know f- full speed and full contact game situations you know we're not saying they got to do it a half hour, 45 minutes, you know, a day, but they got to do it. And you got to really, you know, be able to see how this going to work. And uh, that was been somewhat the issue in the last few years in August is they didn't get them uh, exactly game ready. You know, it was more of a kind of a cerebral sort of approach to things rather than a full speed, full contact at times approach. And and they got to, they got to figure out how to do that. I think the way Graham Harrell's coaching them up, I think they're they're close to being able to do that. But you know, now they got to go ahead and do it. Yeah. Um, well, we had we have an interesting email that came in. It wasn't from Keely. Keely didn't this, <laughs> she didn't write this. She was actually concerned about reading this. Uh, where I was like, ah, it should be fine. Um, if you remember our live show with Jake Olson, he told a very interesting story about USC former USC head coach. Steve Sarkeesian, who's now the offensive coordinator at Alabama. Uh, he was with Atlanta. He was Alabama before. Um, but, Dan, this was a really interesting email that came in. And uh, Keely, I'll read it for you and kind of get your thoughts on this. Okay. Um, we can't 
verify what was just an email that was sent to us like any other email. And, you know, we read those and we'll read this one, too. Yes. Good. Good intro, Ryan. (laughs) So this is from Ed in downtown L.A. And he says, my Sark story. First off, thanks for the podcast. I enjoy Keeley's precision, Ryan's passion, Dan's details, shotgun's energy and coaches old school fire. I moved into the Market Lofts building in downtown LA in 2009. It's on 9th Street between Grand and Flower. There's a Ralph's supermarket on the ground floor. I'm 99% sure this happened on the very day Sark was fired, but it might have been one day before. I was in Ralph's about at about 6 or 7 a.m. to avoid crowds. This is before Trader Joe's opened in the University Village, a much better market where I now do all my shopping. When I went to check out, there was only one customer in line. I noticed that he was purchasing none other than a huge bottle of booze. I didn't read the label, but I don't know exa- and I don't know exactly what type of booze it was, but it was amber colored and it was not apple juice. I would have to have carried that bottle with two hands. It is not uncommon in downtown LA to see homeless people in the supermarket buying single serving cans or bottles of alcohol and nothing else at breakfast time, but this man looked so clean cut that I did a double take. He had shorts on and a short sleeve shirt as if he were going to the beach. When he turned to face the cashier to pay, I was shocked to see Sark's face. At first, I didn't believe my own eyes because he did not have a visor on. Every time I had seen Sark on TV, he had been wearing a visor, so he looked incomplete somehow. Plus, I thought, why would he be buying booze for breakfast? It made no sense. So then I thought, man, that guy sure looks like Sark. It's creepy. I guess he sensed me staring at him, so he turned directly to look at me. We exchanged an uncomfortable stare. I'm not a casual fan. I watch a lot of football, and I... And I now had no doubt that no doubt that this was Sark. If that was not Sark, I apologized to him, and I think he should know that there's someone shopping downtown who looks like his identical twin. I thought nothing of it until later that day, one percent chance it was the next day. Sark's firing was announced. My jaw dropped, and I wondered if I had just seen Sark purchase the booze that would lead to his firing. With the drumbeat for Urban Meyer getting louder, it's important to remember that character and skeletons in closets can lead to huge problems. Wins and championships do no good for USC if they later have to be vacated or litigated or if anyone gets hurt in the process. As a grad school alum, I hope USC's new president has higher standards in this area than her predecessors. Ed in downtown L.A. Yeah, um... I know that's your story and that's a, you know, a unique story and a one of a kind story. It's not the only story out there like this. Oh. There are, I mean, there are stories and there are stories. And yes, it makes one wonder how that all happened for USC in terms of that particular hiring because there were stories over the years, um, you know, from USC and Washington and practices here and road trips here and there were just lots and lots and lots of stories and you paid attention uh to what you saw what we you know are always baffled by is that no one at usc paid any attention to those stories or said wow i wonder if maybe is this a good idea it just you know and there were, you know, situations at practice where I would ask people, did you notice that? And I'd get this blank stare like, well, no, that's, that's the head football coach. That wouldn't be happening, would it? Not on the practice field. And you'd say, oh, okay. Uh, people just didn't pick up on things, you know, either they didn't want to or, or they just didn't. And it was amazing, but there are stories and, there are stories. Yes. Yeah. I was just kind of like out of the blue story. Um, wait, were we talking about that or something or just, he, I think it was probably from the Sark stories that Jake Olson was telling. Probably that would make sense. Yeah. Uh, that he wrote that in, but I mean, I obviously we don't know if that's true, but it seems, you know, seems believable. <laughs> we all had our stories. I mean, let's face it. We were, I mean, I, I was probably by far the most suspicious person and had heard the most stories from the most places. But I still remember that uh, Salute to Troy night, and we're <laughs> in there in the media room in Heritage Hall, and they've got the loudspeakers on from, uh, you know, Cromwell Field next door. And I'm sitting there because they'd practiced and then they had, you know, an hour and a half off or something like that before Salute to Troy. And I'm writing the 
the day story. And I, I remember there were probably five or six of us in the media room. And I remember sitting there and I said, uh Oh, did you guys hear that? <laughs> and they all look at me like, you know, oh, there you go again. No, nobody heard it. I said, okay. So we just start back. And then I go, he said it again. And that, at that point, everybody heard what was happening, you know, with Sark on stage. And so we're all like, we're jumping up and, and running outside and saying, what the heck's going on? Uh, but, um, the, those stories are, and at that point, they're trying to lure Sark off stage. You know, there's an emergency. You know, give us the mic. Um, and it didn't exactly work, but, uh, yeah. Yes, there were lots of stories, lots yeah. and lots of stories. Well, people and, there, like Jake was there. Uh, our friend Shane Foley, the former quarterback, was like the guy like handing it off to Sark. So I've talked to him <laughs> about it. You know, there's and, and there was people there that were like, hey, this seems to be an issue. And they weren't really sure. Like they tried to tell people, but, it not, you know, it sort of was like this ball was rolling down, the, you know, the mountain and starting an avalanche and no one could really stop it once it started going. Well, I mean, it was like uh, they had had, you know, one of the features of Salute to Troy was the honoring of the 25th anniversary USC team and the 50th anniversary team. And he didn't make it for either one of those uh, little get-togethers, which was probably a bad sign that the head coach, uh, you know, didn't show up. And uh, when he did show up, you know, people, I guess we have, we know at least three people who who were up close with Sark, who all said, you can't let Sark go on. No, don't do that. And unfortunately, they let Sark go on. And, um, you know, so there's a lot of stories that, that haven't been written and, and, and probably aren't going to be written, but, you know, you had to pay attention to what was going on. And, uh, you know, not enough people did. Uh, okay, we got one last voicemail. This is a topic I know you guys discussed uh, a little bit last week. Um, I believe this is the right voicemail. Hopefully I'm right. Um, but we'll we'll play it for you, and then uh, we'll talk about it. Curtis from Moreno Valley. I'm glad Dan Weber said what he said on the last show, that the compliance department was notified of these guys that were taking uh, classes for um, – athletes it's up to compliance at that point you cannot blame the team or punish the team or go after the team if compliance was notified they're supposed to take action if something was wrong this is going to be interesting but i think because of that it's all on compliance curtis from moreno valley Real quick, uh, Curtis, if it's USC compliance, so like if USC compliance doesn't do something about academic fraud from players, USC still gets punished. It doesn't like, you don't punish USC compliance, it'll be the football team that would get punished. And this wasn't about players, this was about graduate assistants. Uh, so, but yes, I, I completely disagree with your, it's just because you're, you can't just put it on compliance, like, oh, the football team's fine. Like everyone would just blame their compliance department and the football team would never get punished. Well, yeah, I mean, I think... The key is, if, uh, as uh, you know, Rick Courtright said in his lawsuit, if he did blow the whistle on, you know, in a timely fashion uh, to compliance about what he saw, which would be interesting if you went to compliance first and you didn't talk to your head coach or uh, talk to the people involved and just find out exactly what was going on uh, to make sure, you know, you had it right. And maybe there are circumstances you say, we well, can't do that. But compliance should have a file. And I know USC has said we're going to investigate this situation after the lawsuit came out. But uh, one would hope that if it is as the lawsuit alleges that there was, uh, you know, the whistle was blown and USC was informed, compliance should have a file on this. They should have had, uh, you know, the ability uh, certainly to have checked it out thoroughly. And the fact that you know, there, there don't seem to have been any, you know, consequences or changes. And, uh, and you know, uh, Courtright was let go or, you know, allowed to resign. Uh, you would think that compliance didn't, you know, come up with anything. Uh, I do think, 
from what I've talked to, people, you know, say that this may be something that the NCA does have to check out. Uh, if there's an allegation that you've got, you know, because they do have, you know, rules and regulations about what grad assistants have to do and, you know, courses and they have to be, uh, you know, real graduate student and have to be, you know, making progress uh, uh, to some sort of a degree and that kind of thing. Um, I think the NCA would have a reason to come in and check. Now, you would think that the way they would do that would be by checking with compliance. And, and what did you find out? And then what are the details that we need to know? Now, that could be the end of it. If, uh, if you know, compliance is the kind of, this is who we talked to, this is what they said, you know, does the NCA even have to, you know, do any more than that? I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, I think the compliance uh, part of this is a, is, is a big deal. And, uh, you know, we don't know, uh, you know, what that is. And it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to, if USC does have a you know a, a finding from compliance to to put that out there publicly and say you know here's what they did here's who they talked to here's what here's what they you know found out and and that's why uh, we don't think there's you know anything to this but uh, uh, you know being out you know forthright and 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 public about things is not always USC's way so uh, that. Uh, that may not happen, but uh, yeah. I don't know that it wouldn't be a good idea if it did. And make sure you go back and read the War Room from Friday. We got some stuff in there for our uscfootball.com subscribers. If you're not, why aren't you? Get in there for a buck the first month or 30% off your first year. Uh, you can subscribe to uscfootball.com. Get all the insider information about USC Trojan football, all the stuff from Dan, Keeley, me, Shotgun. Trevino, Gerard, and all the 24-7 recruiting staff that all contribute to the site. So make sure you go check that out. Shameless shameless plug. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's it, huh? Yeah. Do we have anything else, Keely? Oh, that's it. I, I do, oh, I do have a right. question. Dan has, oh, a, Dan question. has a question. Me, I'm sorry. A yeah. question I get to read, I think, uh, at this point. It's from uh, Stephen S., who's very upset about uh, what he calls the firing of John Robinson. And he points out that, hey, uh, in a budget of $120 million, which is probably fairly close, uh, USC athletic budget, uh, he said, what could it be, you know, at the most $200,000? Probably that's a lot more than I, I would guess that, that, that Coach Robinson was getting paid. But he said, if this money you needed for the athletic department cash flow, which he says would be like, you know, seventeen hundredths of one percent. Uh USC Athletics is in big trouble. Questions need to be asked. How did the firing of John Robinson get in the budget? Who was responsible for putting it into the budget and who in the athletic department approved this? Uh and did the new president of the university approve this firing or was it the previous president? Okay. Here's the problem with that. From people you talk to at USC, they tell you that this went back a couple of months and that this was in their minds, completely mutual, that Coach Robinson, they say, came to them, and his wife is from Louisiana. She's an LSU graduate, and came, and the thought was that it was time for you know Coach Robinson and, and his wife. They were thinking about moving back to Louisiana, and you know it's a heck of a lot you know less expensive to live back there. And he had, he has, you know, Coach Robinson has close ties to, you know, Coach Ed Orgeron, and his wife is, is an LSU alum. So that's what USC says was the, um, you know, the genesis of all this, that, that, that Coach Robinson came to them and said, I think it's time. And USC is, no question, looking to cut the budget, okay? And they've, they're doing a lot of things. Uh, to cut the budget. So in effect, that, um, that works for USC as well at this point in time. Although, Coach Robinson, if you haven't been to one of the social events, the fundraising events, all the different kinds of things where he's the, you know, host and the MC and the Toastmaster and all that, he's really good. I mean, he's a, he is a professional, you know, comedian, uh, with, you know, professional timing. And, you know, he was also a coach of a national championship team. So he's really good at, at that. But at his age, he was saying this was time to probably not do that anymore. Now, we don't have that, uh, you know, from Coach Robinson, but 
then USC didn't announce it. And by the time, you know, it gets out that it's rumored that he wasn't, he was let go and wasn't going to have his season tickets and all that. We also hear that same weekend that he's uh, going to be hired as a consultant to Coach Orgeron at LSU, where he'll be in the room with Coach O and talk about practice plans and just all kinds of just things where it's not like he's responsible for any one, you know, single duty, but he's just somebody there that, and I guess he, you know, visited uh, Coach O a few times last season and, you know, they, you know, developed that kind of a rapport. So, so I don't know that we know enough to, to say it was, was a firing and it probably USC needed to get the word out much sooner than they did on how, on how it happened. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, and I don't think this is something that goes to the level of the new, uh, the new president. She's got a lot of things to look at, but that's probably not one that, um, you know, that, that, that went, you know, by her desk. Uh, so, uh, so his, his conclusion is, I thought that USC had turned the corner on making unheard of dumb decisions. Well, you know, I'm not sure I'd say that, but uh, and and in in this case, I don't know that you could say that was that was the case or that was any one person's uh, you know responsibility, or that it was done in a you know in a, you know with malice or, or you know wanting to get you know Coach Robinson out of, out of there. I don't know. I mean, I think you know to save money, yes, um, but to let Coach Robinson go, I don't know. You know, maybe there was this sense of we really need to cut the budget and we're going to have to cut you way back, and which sounds like maybe what they did in terms of Rick Carr, the security director for the last 21 years, who may be allowed to, you know, work part-time but uh, and work at games but uh, but not a full-time position. You know, did that happen with, with Coach Robinson? That might be you know, a way where Coach Robin can, you know, could say, you know what, rather than, than keep doing this, I'll, I'm just going to move on. Uh, I don't know that we'll ever know the exact story there, but uh, but I, I think it's it's probably we don't know enough to say just flat out that Coach Robinson, you know, was fired and was handled badly. Uh, I, I, we're just not going to know that. Yeah, just optics aren't great. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's just... But the USC is kind of used to that, like not having great yeah. optics about stuff. Um, yeah, but we'll see. But thanks, uh, thanks for the qu- who sent the question in, Dan? Stephen, Stephen S. Thanks, Stephen, for sending that in. You know, you, there's a lot of ways you can get us questions, and if you want to email Dan directly, you know, sure. you can do that too. You stop us on the street. Cut t- out the middleman. I, t- I talked about this with uh, Harvey Hyde. Um, I had to get. Uh, my tires rotated yesterday morning and uh, there was a nail or a screw in one of the tires. So I was going to get them rotated and have it fixed. And, uh, I go up to the guy and so I'm talking to the guy in the, in the store. And then someone comes up to me and goes, are you Ryan Abraham? I recognized your voice. <laughs> like, yes. So amazing. I, I, that happened to me. I was in the, uh, uh, or getting, uh, what was it? Choose result. Okay. And they're my YCs. We're in, in Tustin, and I'm explaining what needs to be done. And a guy is sitting there, and he said, "I know that voice, your voice." <laughs> he, he said, so he ends up inviting me to this uh, really cool thing at Newport Beach Country Club and all of that. And just from he said, "Oh, I know who you are. You're you know Dan Weber and all of that." And it's such a small world. Which I'll, I'll, this is another story. I'm coming in last night and we have a really sweet retired lady, uh, in our building who is using one of those little cards that, uh, um, uh, Clay Helton was using, uh, you know, like with a boot and she had some tendons in her foot, not an Achilles, but she's using that. So we're talking about football and I'm talking about how the football players use those cards and, for what injuries and how they get, you know, get them better. And she says, Oh, are you a coach? And I said, no, I, I do the USC football.com website and go to a lot of USC stuff. And she says, Oh, my brother-in-law played at USC. And I said, Oh, what was his name? Mike Garrett. <laughs> I said, oh, really? He played at USC. Yeah, he did. He did play at USC. But I'm just thinking, 
that happens way more than you would think it would happen. It, it just it just seems to. Yeah, that's funny. You know, uh, it's <laughs> that people recognize your voice or they they have a connection. Uh, you know, somewhere somehow. Yeah, it's fun. Keely gets it too. It is. With the, it's it's neat. It's it's weird, but it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. All right. Although they they all ask. Uh, how what's Keely like? How's Keely? You know, and I, so they they not only recognize you, but they want to talk about Keely. So. Yeah, and you tell them I'm awful, Dan. Right? You tell them the truth. <laughs> I tell you, typical Orange County uh, USC uh, <laughs> yeah person. <laughs> yeah. Typical Orange County. Nice. Um, well, I guess it's going to wrap it up. Uh, yeah, good stuff. Thanks for all the questions. Uh, make sure you go to. Uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play, Google Podcasts, and leave us a five-star rating, uh, some kind of positive review, funny review if you'd like, anything to sit there. But the five-star thing is cool. And tell your friends, you know. It's going to be football season pretty soon. If you got some USC friends out there, let them know about our little show, the Parastyle Podcast. It'll be our 12th football season, which is absolutely insane. Uh, but we've been doing it for a very long time. and hope you guys uh, keep listening and keep enjoying it. That's Keely, your Dad Weber, uh, I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.